Hey, I'm Tim. And I'm Drew. And this is the Hearts and Hands Podcast. In episode 13, we talk about our strangest sources of inspiration, and we talk with Eric McGaffey about the sound of worship music. Welcome to another episode of the Hearts and Hands podcast. I'm your host, Drew Sonnenberg, joined as always by my co-host, Tim Babbler. How are you doing, Tim? Doing pretty well. Uh, things are warming up here in Wisconsin, and by warming up, I mean it is currently 36 degrees. Hey, it got down to the 30s at night this week. Oh, man. Yeah. Maybe I just need to come visit South Carolina. Sounds like a plan. <laughs> anyway, we had a great conversation with Eric McGaffey this week, and one thing he ended up mentioning was a, a strange source he has for inspiration for an arrangement he was working on and that got me thinking tim what's the strangest song or musician or place that you got inspiration from when you were writing a song so funny story back when i for the very first time was started to write music for a summer camp called camp south that we've talked about i think before on this podcast i just had this decision that i was going to do it but i we're getting kind of down to crunch time and I'm just like, I have no idea what I want this song to sound like. I've never really written songs for camp before, so I don't know exactly what to go uh, to base it off of. And I was actually in your living room, Drew, listening to a a song called The Last Saskatchewan Pirate. I love that and, song. Yeah, that song's it's by an artist called The Arrogant Worms. And literally there was just the feel of it and then there was this part where they were doing like a back and forth like chanting like heave ho or whatever and that got me thinking i'm like this would like i can incorporate that in some way that same idea into this this song which ended up being called uh, god's high seas adventures all about um sailing on god's high seas and and all it got for me was this one line where we say on the high and then all the kids respond hi and then we say seas so like that was just it like one small thing but yeah, that song, it was so cool. Like a song that I wouldn't listen to very often, but hearing it gave me inspiration. What's your experience with uh, obscure inspiration? Yeah, I have a, I don't know if I'd call it a bad habit with this, but I like to, when I, especially when I'm arranging hymns, I like, I think of a song or an artist and I, you know, I'll say to the drummer, just play like you're in this band or to the guitarist, just imagine <laughs> you're, you're this guitarist or whatever. So I was working on some hymn arrangements. It was actually for my wedding. And I was working on an arrangement of Go My Children With My Blessing, which we used as a recessional. And I used three different things. Uh, the first verse I said to everybody, like I wrote out the parts too, but I told everybody, play like you're playing the song Wonderful by Everclear. <laughs> and then so that was the first verse. And then, it, you know, it builds into this sort of groove. And I, I don't know if I ever really placed what I what band I associated that with. But I think it was like the Counting Crows or something like that. So just sure. kind of like a, a jam in 90s feel. And then for the fourth verse, I 
straight up ripped off the White Stripes song, uh, My Doorbell. There's just this very distinctive drum beat and the, the hits on the piano just all come really heavy on the downbeats and like nothing else just hits on the downbeats and that's it. Um, very kind of marcato feel and everything. But obviously I wasn't using the same chords as my doorbell or the same melody or anything. I took the, the chords and the melody from Go My Children and just used that exact feel and it was super fun like i mean obviously my wedding day was a pretty fun day overall but like <laughs> that that part really put a smile on my face when it when it hit so yeah so let's get to our conversation with eric and see where he draws his strange inspiration from joining us today on the podcast from colorado is our good friend eric mcgathy welcome eric hey guys how's it going going pretty well eric fry listeners could you tell a little bit about yourself and what you do so I am the music and youth coordinator at Carbon Valley Lutheran in Firestone, Colorado. So I plan all the music for worship and do some arranging and just kind of tweaking of things and obviously like run all the rehearsals and put all that stuff together for our worship. Now, Eric, what's your background in, in music? Well, I started, like so many, taking piano lessons, forced by parents. Um, yep. Yeah, <laughs> but I did enjoy it, but uh, I had a short attention span, I think. I, I get to like a certain point on instruments, and then I want something else. So I did piano for a while, then I wanted to do guitar, then I sought out a mandolin. So like all through grade school, high school, and right to, I think, around 7th or 8th grade, our church started adding in a blended service and wanted someone to play guitar. So I started doing that all through high school. Uh, and then I went to WLC and studied music theory and composition. So graduated through there. I worked for Hal Leonard for a few years. He was a music publisher. Then I kind of dropped off the map for a while, musically speaking, <laughs> uh, until I got a call from pastor out here who was starting a church and needed someone to do music. And so now here I am. <laughs> Eric, one of the topics that Drew and I have been talking about recently is the sound of worship music. Would you give us a little bit of insight as to your thoughts on how worship music sounds as compared to other music and if there should be a distinction or a difference? Uh, sure, yeah. Well, I mean, if you listen to the radio, I feel like everyone agrees that there is a difference as far as the like popular recorded music. And I don't know exactly what that is in like production or what. But there is a difference there. Now, from my perspective, like in worship, in church, I mean, there's, it can sound like anything. <laughs> uh, I mean, worship music in, you know, India and China sounds a lot different than it does here or in like, you know, our African churches. It sounded different in the Old Testament to the New Testament to Bach to today. So I don't know that there's any, I mean, there's no command. There's no mandate to sound one way or another. I think really the question you have to ask is, why does it sound the way it does? Maybe we get bogged down with the way that we want it to sound compared to, you know, why it should sound a certain way. You know, at Carbon Valley, we were starting a brand new church, which not a lot of people get to experience. And in that process, you have to ask yourself, you know, who are we trying to reach with the gospel? And what is going to remove the most barriers. So if you're reaching people who are mostly unchurched, then just 
doing our classic out of the hymnal organ music is going to sound more like Phantom of the Opera, or, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like it, it's not super relatable to people and that can be a barrier. So how do we remove that barrier? We use sounds that people are familiar with. And so that's, that's the way that I look at worship music. Really anything can fit as long as it's serving that purpose and communicating the gospel and removing barriers to the gospel. So I haven't had the privilege of joining you out there in Colorado yet. I want to someday. But what, what have you found? Is, the, is there a particular style or genre or anything that works best? Or do you change it up from week to week? What, what seems to serve the people in your context the best? We do try to keep at least like a relative variety as like genre speaking. Uh, I kind of think of like everyone is going to really love like, I don't know, 20% (laughs) and then, you know, kind of like 60% and not really like another 20% of what we do. But that kind of ensures that, that we have enough variety to reach enough people and it helps to have people aware of that, that they understand what we're doing, that we're trying to reach visitors um, and not necessarily serve exactly what our members prefer. So we do a lot of hymns that either I arrange or we use, you know, find other arrangements like Koine's arrangements, things like that. We use uh, music, you know, that you hear on the radio, contemporary worship music, all different things. So, and I, I like to try to songs that already have their own genre, try to embrace that. Um, So, you know, if you're doing precious Lord, you've got to, you know, give it a little soul, (laughs) Yeah, yeah. you know? So yeah, we, we change it up a little bit and I don't know, there, there are barriers as far as like, you know, who are your musicians? What instruments do you have available? And that can be a barrier to certain genres and a, a door open to others so that comes into play as well. Who you have as musicians, what instruments you have available, and how those can tie into genres. Because then you can make anything. You know, if you're really good at a certain thing, uh, then, you know, <laughs> make it your own. You know, like, just do that really well. Sure, yeah. Speaking from my experience down here in South Carolina, I can relate to a lot of the things you just said about, you know, your limited to a certain extent by the the people you have on a given Sunday, but that there are certain genres or certain things that we do really well for us are the thing we kind of fall back on is kind of a folksy bluegrassy sort of vibe just Mm -hmm. because the, the people that we have, the environments they grew up in, you know, that's what they kind of default to. So that's what we can do particularly well. I was curious though, you mentioned that sometimes you, you work on your own arrangements or, push things into a different genre or anything. What's the most kind of out there crazy thing you've ever tried? (laughs) Uh, I don't know that I've gone like super out there. I will say my favorite inspiration comes from a group uh, called Penguin Cafe Orchestra. uh, (laughs) Definitely look them up. Uh, It's great listening, but it's sort of, I don't know, kind of minimalist and almost like groove. They they just kind of set a really good tone and a good groove that keeps going. And so it's really more about 
kind of the chord changes than, you know, uh, a specific melody going on. Sure. Um, and so I like to do that. Uh, right now I'm working on Amazing Grace in that kind of style where you just kind of set up the groove because it's a simple chord structure. You know, it's easy for a lot of people. Yeah, and, and Be Still My Soul is one that we did. And same thing where you can just kind of keep a steady beat going. And it makes it simple where someone who can is just learning piano can just, you know, like play these same three chords arpeggiated and that keeps the rhythm going and the drummer can just keep like 16th notes going, you know, and the guitarist can keep a simple strum pattern, but you can start building those together, you know, start with one and start adding layers. And that I, I feel like you can do a lot with that as far as like, really bringing the, the words through. Tim, I'm actually curious. We don't talk too much about individual arrangements very often. Do you have a, something crazy out there that you are particularly fond of? What I found myself doing when I was coordinating worship in Miami was taking the arrangements of songs that you may hear on popular radio or Christian radio and just paring them down for our specific circumstance. Like, we basically had a guitar and a piano and a bass, and that was it. So for us, it's not so much retuning a hymn or changing the chord structure of something or writing a new melody, but just taking something that was meant to fill a stadium or fill an auditorium and pare it down to our small worship space that we used. Right, yeah, because you get a lot of people, you know, who catch you after church say, you know, there's this great hill song <laughs> that, uh, <laughs> song that I hear on the radio. I think it'd be great. And I'm thinking it really wouldn't <laughs> <laughs> because we don't have a keyboardist with, the, you know, all the different pad sounds. And like, you don't, you don't realize what's going on in the background that when someone's just strumming it on a guitar, it doesn't come across <laughs> quite the same. Yeah. So being able to change those things. I think that's a that's a great idea and a way for uh, smaller groups to be able to to use those songs in their setting. Yeah, and that's one of the things I really enjoy doing is actually kind of toning things down and almost doing a an acoustic version of a song, whether it's just acoustic piano or, or acoustic guitar or acoustic and piano together. But you can bring a whole new meaning to a song sometimes that even if it had polysynth and all the different pads and whatnot on it originally, tone it down a little bit and and kind of breathe new life into it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. This question is for, for both of you then. Have you found anything in particular when you're trying to tackle something big like a, a hill song or an elevation and you're trying to pare it down for the instrumentalists that you do have? Are there any tips or tricks you have for those out there listening that also have such a small group to work with that worked for you in the past? I always fall back to less is more. <laughs> Especially different drum rhythms, different piano parts, things like that. You can, you can always get the idea across without doing the exact same thing. And so encouraging people to like simplify it, like what's the simplest way that you can uh, get that same effect, you know, and not be like, you know, killing yourself trying to figure out these different riffs or drum licks or whatever you know, like simplify, just cut it back, do what you're able to do. I think that that always comes across better than 
struggling to try to achieve what a professional was doing. Yeah, I would agree with that. And one of the things that I always found good, especially with limited pool of musicians, is just take a look at your strengths. And for example, our, our pianist, our keyboardist, was someone who preferred very much to read written music as opposed to just play off of a chord chart or a lead sheet. So having something for him to play was was beneficial. But at the same time, realizing that we had very gifted you would call them background singers or backup singers who didn't want to sing the lead parts, but adding harmonies in places where there weren't originally harmonies can also bring a new depth to a song. Recently, I was at a comedy show by Christian comedian Tim Hawkins. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with him, but I literally spent two and a half hours laughing so much that I got cramps in my cheeks and thought I was going to lose my voice. Moral of the story is he was talking about how adding the word Christian to something sometimes makes it sound like it's second rate. Like you have your comedians and then you have your Christian comedians or you have your musicians and then you have Christian musicians or you have songs and Christian songs. And he kind of, I mean, he was joking about it, but at the same time he's saying he doesn't label himself specifically as a Christian comedian yet. Every single one of his shows is a Christian, like it's based because of his, his lens or his worldview, it's Mm -hmm. based in his faith. And I think of people who uh, maybe kind of break the barriers of, you know, well, they are Christian musicians, but they don't want to pigeonhole themselves into only being played on a radio station like Caleb or the local Christian radio station. And there are, I think, musicians that are doing a good job of that. I think of Lauren Daigle, for example, who um, I was reading an article because she kind of sounds like Adele or has a similar vocal quality that people who were fans of Adele have an easier time latching on to her work. Or people like Switchfoot or Skillet who just play their type of music. Yes, it's Christian because they're Christians, but someone who is a you know building a building isn't saying, well, this is a Christian building because I built it and I'm a Christian. Like, no. I don't know if you guys have additional thoughts on that. Yeah, I, I think what really comes to mind uh, to me, in that context, is songwriting. I, I don't know if we just like went through a period in the 90s where Christian songwriting was more or less just like really repetitive and very um, like theologically shallow. <laughs> I don't know. I think a lot of people <laughs> got caught up in that. And, you know, it, it just wasn't really quality at least what was really popular. And now I'm, I feel like I'm starting to see a lot more depth there, which is exciting. People are taking that really seriously again. And I, I just appreciate having those songs because <laughs> I'm, I've never really, really like dived into writing songs, but I like to have them <laughs> <laughs> to work off of. So that's where it really stands out to me. Yeah, this this comes up a lot when people ask me about like my influences or what I'm listening to right now. And they figure, you know, you're a worship coordinator at a Christian church, so you must just listen to all the all the newest albums that are on Caleb, right? And the truth is I don't listen to any of them. <laughs> but it, it's not that saying something is Christian automatically makes it worse or second rate, but there unfortunately are a lot of examples out there of of Christian artists that aren't as good as their secular counterparts and things like that. Like if I'm looking for people who are making music that is really going to like 
just hit me in the heart. Most often, it's not the sort of thing you hear on Caleb. And I don't know, I feel like there's a lot of different things that contribute to that. I think part of it is, like we were saying at the beginning, that there is a certain quality to all of the songs that you hear on Christian radio, whether it's their production or their style or genre, whatever you want to call it. It's different than just if you would turn to any other station on the radio. There's, It seems like there's less variety. It seems like it's just all fits into this nice, specific area where everything else has just more freedom, it seems like. I don't know if Christian musicians are intentionally trying to pigeonhole themselves or if they just are forced to by corporations or something like that. And I'm getting off on like seven different tangents now. <laughs> but the, what, where I was going with this was like, when I'm looking for inspiration, when I'm songwriting or writing a new arrangement or whatever, I'm looking to all music, not just Christian music. Because to me, Christian is a characteristic of a song, maybe, in the same way that like the song it happens to be in the key of C or happens to have a three four time signature. Like yes, it's true that it's a Christian song, but that it doesn't define it as its genre or anything like that. It's just another characteristic of that song. So if I can listen to songs that aren't Christian and pick up things from them, whether they be rhythmic things or melodic things or arrangements or whatever the case may be, if I can learn things from all of the music I'm listening to and just apply it to the specific song I'm working on, I feel like it's going to have a lot more depth and variety than if I just look to Christian music and say, this is what I have to work with. Yeah, I think something you're kind of getting at is that that seeming like lack of variety, which I I do wonder if how much of that is just what's on the radio, because there is a lot, a lot out there that isn't on the radio that has a lot more variety and a lot more depth, but you kind of have to seek it out. You know, if there's only one or two Christian radio stations, <laughs> you're, you're pretty limited in what you're, in what you're getting. So that might be another aspect too. Well, Eric, thank you so much for joining us today. It was a pleasure having you. Absolutely. Pleasure was mine guys. That wraps it up for another episode of the podcast. As always, if you'd like to reach out to us, you can find us at Wells Creatives on all social media platforms or email us directly at heartsandhandspodcast at gmail.com. We've been getting lots of good recommendations for people to talk with on the podcast. We think you're going to like some of the topics coming up. Also, be sure to check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash heartsandhandspodcast. And there you can gain access to certain bonus features and uncut episodes and content. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time.